0: You are listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. Now, this text this morning sounds like it's about divorce, and it is. In fact, we get some details about divorce here, Um, and yet... This passage this morning is about something much deeper than divorce. If you remember, when we previously went through Mark's gospel, we picked out three large themes. A king, his kingdom, and the constant call to discipleship, or the call to follow that king into his kingdom. That king being Jesus, like the writer of Hebrews told us to do and let everyone know who we were talking about. And here's our big idea for this week. Your unfaithfulness does not void or cancel out the faithfulness of Jesus. Receive Him and His good gifts. Your unfaithfulness does not cancel out the faithfulness of Jesus. Receive Him and His good gifts. So let's just start off here at the beginning of this text in verse 2. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test Him asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, there's a couple of things happening here. The first of which is the one thing that the Pharisees are always doing. They're taking the thing that they are the experts in, that they know the best, and they're essentially saying to Jesus, they call you teacher. How much do you know? What can we challenge you in? What can we trap you in? And when we get to this point in Mark's Gospel It is a trap, okay? It's a trap! Turn around! But Jesus is going to go headlong into that trap and use their words against them, as he usually does. But why in the world would they ask him about divorce? Why here and why now? Well, there's been something else that's recently happened in the Gospel stories where John the Baptist has actually had his head removed from his body uh, because of the issue of divorce and the condemnation that he made concerning it. So what better time? We're looking for a way to get rid of Jesus. We're looking for a way to condemn him and put him to death. It's already worked once. Let's try the divorce thing. And so they ask him the question. He answered them, what did Moses command you? You're the experts in the law. Clearly, you already know the answer. And so they walk into it. They said, Well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. All right, hardness of heart. Whenever we hear a hardness of heart, what are a couple of things that we should think of? Well, the low-hanging fruit there is Pharaoh, right? We think about the Exodus story. And in the Exodus story, I forget how many times it is, it's something like 16 times, uh, that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And sometimes it says that Pharaoh hardens his own heart, and sometimes it says that, that God is hardening his heart in some way. Here's what's happening in that text with Pharaoh. Each and every time that Pharaoh's heart is hardened, it's because the Word of God has been preached to him. What was the word that was spoken to Pharaoh? Let my people go. Let my people go free. And he ignored that word. And in fact, when the threat came after that, uh, he refused to acknowledge that that threat was real. What do we call that? we call that unbelief. Because Pharaoh, in his story, could think of nothing more powerful than himself. And so, whenever God's word was spoken to him, his heart became hard. Another thing that we can think about, though, is both the prophet Jeremiah and the prophet Ezekiel talking about the status of our hearts before God the Holy Spirit turns them into flesh and blood, and saves us through the good news preached to us about Jesus. Our hearts are called hearts of stone prior to that. And that's exactly where these Pharisees are at right now. They're so concerned with the law. They're so concerned with their own righteousness through that law that they have forgotten something. They have forgotten something that we all learned in the gospel, uh, sorry, in the epistle, in Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. (laughs) I'm going to get that word right eventually. In, In Paul's letter to the Galatians, we heard over and over again what the use and the purpose, or rather, the way that God uses the law in our lives. And the Pharisees are getting it all backwards here. And so they responded to Jesus. Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus tells them why. This this little clause, this little loophole existed, right? Because of your hardness of heart, He wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Jesus is telling them here, Pharisees, law people... (laughs) You are always looking for a way out of God's Word. You're always looking for a way out of what it is that God has said to you is true and good. From the beginning of creation, you have known what is true and good about marriage. You know that because God ordained the first marriage. He stood over the ceremony. He Stamped the contract, if you want to say it that way. God was there bringing Adam and Eve together. And if something has stood from creation, something that God called very good, do you think that you can somehow receive just a loophole that you can jump out of, a slight window that's open to get out of that situation? This is how Jesus is challenging them. And yet, you and I, we know this as well. Um, You know, look, I drive down the road, and I know that that little sign that says 120 means I need to go 120 kilometers per hour. I also know that on this little stretch of road, there is no camera, right? And I know that the wind is at my back, and I'm going downhill. There's no problem with this. No, we're always looking for the loophole. We're always looking for a way out. We are masters of hardening our heart against what we know might be good and safe for us. What we know might be good and ordained by God. We're always looking for a way out. It's why, uh, I don't know if... Any of you have been following along with our catechism over the last couple of weeks, but last week's catechism question was related to murder. And always, it's, we're in the Ten Commandments right now, and always we can look at murder and say, I'm good to go. Unless we also consider murder, as Jesus taught us, to be you know envy and hatred and contentiousness with our neighbor. Well... If that's the case, then I might have a little bit of a problem with murder. I read a a, a theologian this week, I forget where I read it, so forgive me, but he said something to the effect of, um, why is it that we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves, and why it is that we are told not to murder? Because usually the person that we want to murder is our neighbor, okay? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what he means by that is usually the people that we have the most interaction with are the people that we are most likely to become envious of and have some sort of contentiousness with, to, be, to get angry with, right? Um, if you ever throughout the course of the pandemic have had to be locked down in the house with the other people in your home, this is true, right? We don't have to argue about this. We know that this is true of us. And yet we're always looking for that excuse to be upset with this person or that person, to start an argument with this person or that person. We're always trying to find the loophole, always trying to find a way out. Because we like having hard hearts. We like having hard hearts because that means that we can be an island in and of ourselves. And our our desires and our whims, our emotions, our Um, whatever it is that we want in the moment can determine what is good for us. Instead of God determining what is good for us. Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Um, Now, there's a couple interesting things going on in this little text. Uh, Jesus is not creating more loopholes. uh, But Jesus is also acknowledging uh, the differences between the law of God and the civil law or the governmental laws of that time. So both in the Jewish world during this time and in the Roman world during this time, it was totally acceptable for a woman to also issue a certificate of divorce to her husband. And in some ways, Jesus is simply acknowledging that in his words here. Um, We're not going to go into, actually, the last time that I preached this text, I believe that I went down into a whole breakdown of divorce. Um, That's not the purpose of the text for us this morning. There are uh, reasons why. Uh, Rather, let me say it like this. I know that we probably have disagreement in this room about the way that divorce works or should work. Um, And yet there is a reality that we all have to face that Jesus is putting in front of us here and that is that we have hardened hearts toward our sin. We have hardened hearts toward our sin, and because of that, divorce does happen. And because divorce happens, uh, there is pain and there is sorrow. And yet, sometimes it may even be necessary, though it might not. We might not want to call it good you hear what I'm saying? Not like God called the blessing of Adam and Eve's marriage good, or your marriage. So, looking at this text this morning, uh, what else do we need to pull away from this? Well, here's a couple of things that we need to pull away from this. Much like the commandment to not commit murder, we have the commandment to not commit adultery. And so there's the sin issue here, not simply of divorce, but the sin that divorce leads to, and that is to adultery. And yet we are not excused from adultery, right? Because Jesus not only expands that one commandment into a depth of understanding. Uh, But we know that at times we are unfaithful, whether that be in thought or word or deed. Uh, Maybe it's the form of laziness, which taken to its fullest extent, we would call abandonment in a marriage. Or maybe it is um, more uh, emotional in nature, which at one point we would literally then call sexual adultery, right? taken to its full extent. We all know that this is something that we are guilty of. But it's not just on a personal level that this is something that we're guilty of. Um, It's also on a corporate or a whole body level that this is something that we are guilty of. And where do we see this pictured well in the text of Scripture? I'll let someone shout it out because I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong. Where do we see in the text of Scripture adultery pictured to the whole community as opposed to just an individual? Any ideas? No? No one? Yeah, Hosea. You're right. You're right. Um, I actually, yeah. Sorry, that was, that was a bad pop quiz. I'm sorry, everyone. I wasn't really testing you. I wasn't testing you. No, you're exactly right. Um, I did forget her name in the story, though. Gomer. Okay, great. What a great name. Okay. Um, and, and what do we see in the story of Hosea and Gomer? We see a picture of God's people, although, yes, a real story. We also see a picture of God's people constantly running away from the One that created them and sustains them. And so, when we come to this point in the text, we're not just talking about divorce, although that is true. And if you have questions about that, if you have thoughts, if... here's one of the issues with this text this morning, is that Jesus is not being particularly pastoral and gentle in the text this morning he's actually being quite stern. Why is that? It's because he's not dealing with the woman at the well. He's dealing with the Pharisees who have hardened their hearts and are unwilling to listen to his good news. Right? We know the woman at the well. We know that her sexual life was all out of control. And she was dependent upon men in every way and it caused her to move from one man to the next and it was causing all sorts of issues in her life and the fact that she had to be embarrassed to be in a public setting and yet Jesus was willing to go and be gentle with her and lowly with her and humble himself and shepherd her and care for her. This is what we do with people who are in pain and in need of care and in need of good news. And that's exactly what Jesus offered to her. That's exactly what she received because she knew that she needed something. She didn't know what it was. Not only that, but she was willing to go and share that with others because she was able to receive it as good news, right? But the Pharisees are not in that situation. They're not, their marriages aren't all on the, on the verge of collapsing. They're not in any real need of help right now. They're trying to find a way to condemn the good news, as it were. They're trying to find a way to condemn the person and work of Jesus and to put Him aside so that people will not hear and believe. And so as much as this is about divorce, it's about something much greater than that. It's about the adultery that we all share and take part in. And that is the constant turning away from God. It's the constant uh, ignoring of this great salvation that we have received like we read about in Hebrews this morning. And yet like in the book of Hebrews, we also read that Jesus came and made Himself like us so that he could also bring in God's children. So let's see where this text takes us next. Verse 13, And they were bringing children to him. That is, the crowds, the people following him, as they're out and about. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Uh, in all the Gospel accounts, we see Jesus doing this. Um, now, okay, usually um, we get this picture of Jesus. In fact, I, I don't know if you ever saw this old Jesus movie. with um, It had the music of Johnny Cash in it. Have you guys ever seen this? Okay, it's great. It's a great movie. It's like hippie surfer Jesus walking around and all the children are coming to him and he's singing songs with them and all this kind of stuff. Okay, It's a great movie. I don't know that it's very biblically accurate. What I do know is this, that that picture of Jesus being like the peaceful Jesus and all the children, they're just like playing ring around the rosy or whatever. Um, that That's not really what's happening in the text here. People are bringing their children to Jesus so that he will in some way bless them, pray for them. Okay, we get it, but here's what I love about all the gospel accounts where children are involved. It just seems like children are everywhere all the time, first of all. And second of all, whenever a, a child is nearby, Jesus is just like picking them up and using them as an example for something. Okay, <laughs> I love it. Okay, and so that's exactly what he does here. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Don't hold them back. For, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. All right, now this is not a passage about child baptism. This is not a passage about children's ministry per se, although it could be used for that. What is Jesus pointing us to here? Does this mean that all children automatically get it and they get to go into the kingdom of God? That's not exactly what's happening here. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So what is Jesus talking about? I have to somehow, like Nicodemus says, be born again and be small again in order to receive the good news? (laughs) No. Um, Jesus is saying here, you know who doesn't have a hard heart? It's a child. You know what's really sad to see is a child with a hard heart. Because the wickedness of this world has already touched them in so many ways that they know no other way to respond to love or affection or care or gifts with anything but scorn or distrust. Our world does that to you and to me and it does that to children too. There's very few things as sad to see as that. But who doesn't typically have a hard heart? A child. Jesus isn't saying that you've got to act like a child. You don't have to be immature like me. It's not that. What he's saying is a person who is able to receive things like a child receives things with open hands and a grateful heart, it's that person to whom the kingdom of heaven belongs. What about the person who's coming and you're handing them a gift and they come with fists up every time, like the Pharisees? That person can't receive the kingdom of God. Why? Because their hearts are hardened and they're so bent on the law and fulfilling the law with their own righteousness that they forgot that the law wasn't given for righteousness. The law was given because of unrighteousness. The law wasn't given for holiness. The law was given because you were unholy. And yet here they are leaning on it, just trying to find some way to milk out of that law a way that they can become more holy and more justified in their actions. And Jesus is saying, The law will not justify you. The law will not make you right. Do you know who makes things right and good? God does that. Here's an example in the garden when he officiated the first wedding. And it was very good. God makes things good and right. You break things. If we break things, if we're constantly trying to find the loophole, if we're constantly hardening our hearts, how in the world are we going to get out of this cycle of death and despair? By receiving good news like a child. By receiving a gift like a child receives a gift. Your unfaithfulness does not cancel out the faithfulness of Jesus. In the example of marriage here, does divorce somehow put you outside of Jesus' love and care and concern? Well, we have many examples of that not being the case. Probably personally, and then also in the text of Scripture, and predominantly in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. But our unfaithfulness in all of the areas of life when we are refusing to acknowledge the gift that we have already received and and, and enjoy the salvation that's been given to us, our unfaithfulness in that does not cancel out or void Jesus' faithfulness. Instead, we are once again told to receive Christ and all of His good gifts that He gives to us. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.